for sure. I did not need a coach. I was like, I got this. I was very cocky. I mean, <laughs> but my I was the same. Let's get back to that a minute. When you do these things, like what happens in your mind? I don't think I really knew what I was doing. Hey, awesome people. Welcome to Bootstrap Stories, the only podcast where founders of bootstrap companies share in all transparency the ups and downs of their journey. Starting a business comes hand in hand with loneliness, the pressure of not being successful, and overall, lots of challenges. After meeting with hundreds of entrepreneurs in the past years, I figured out that we all have struggles and make lots of mistakes when building a business. But the truth is that most people are afraid to share this publicly. That's what motivated me to start this podcast, to show that we're all on the same journey, facing the same struggles, and to give energy to all entrepreneurs worldwide to continue their adventure. Even if sometimes it can be really challenging and we often feel like giving up, in the end, it's all worth it. Today, I'm with Jackie Hermes, CEO of Axelity Marketing, a seven-figures marketing agency that helps B2B startups and scale-ups grow with customer acquisition and lead generation. Jackie started her entrepreneurial journey 10 years ago with a cookie company, and God knows how much I love cookies. After selling it, she was in charge of the marketing department of a SaaS company to later start her second business, Fully Bootstrap. No external investments, no loans, but tons of creative growth strategy that helped her grow to seven figure. Today, she runs a team of 20 and her LinkedIn community counts 82,000 people. Oh, and I almost forgot, she loves to play Star Wars with her three kids. Jackie, it's a pleasure to have you here for the next hour and welcome to Bootstrap Stories. Yes. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited about this conversation. I'm super excited as well. And uh, I'm really, really curious, you know, like from owning a cookie company and having like a, a nine to five job for a SaaS company and building a multi-million dollar company on your own. How exactly did you come up with all of this? Was it part of your plan to be an entrepreneur, then come back to employee and then switch? How exactly did it work out for you? It was not my plan at all, I guess, to be an entrepreneur. And I, I was so when I started my first company, I was employed the whole time. So when I left corporate, I left for good. Um, hopefully for good. <laughs> yeah. So no, it really wasn't my plan. It's not. I think a lot of entrepreneurs say that they they dreamed of being an entrepreneur since they were little. And that's not really my story. I was planning on climbing the ladder and I thought I would be pretty good at it. And I was excited about it. Um, most of my family uh, did not work in like corporate type jobs. They weren't in business. Um, I'm the first person in my family to go to college. And I think a lot of them were like really stressed the stability of getting a job. Right. And so that's, that's what I thought I wanted to do. That's what I was taught. Awesome. And uh, how exactly did you get that mental switch of being, you know, like working nine to five, to, okay, I'm going to start my entrepreneur journey and start a cookie company. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I kind of fell into all of it. Like when I started Excelity, um, I was looking for another corporate job and I was applying all over the US and people kept responding and saying, we want someone local, you know, so they didn't want to hire a, a girl out of Wisconsin for a job in New York, but do you want to freelance for us until we fill the position? And I was like, sure. Um, so that happened a few times. I had a client in Chicago, a client in New York, 
Um, and I was like, oh, you know, maybe I can actually make a thing of this versus I kind of was just thinking it was going to be a Band-Aid and decided to quit my full-time job and find out. Nice. And, uh, and when, uh, when you sold like uh, for the cookie company, uh, how long exactly did you spend uh, working on it? Ooh, like maybe two and a half years. Honestly, that was such a tough time in my life. I like black it out. I never okay. people ask me about it. And I'm like, <laughs> I owned a cookie company. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So let's, let's focus on, uh, on Axelity then because it's, uh, it's, yeah. it's, <laughs> we, can talk, we can talk about the cookies too. We can totally talk about it. I, I was curious, you know, like, uh, okay, so let's get back to the cookie because I love cookies. <laughs> uh, essentially, like, uh, what exactly happened, you know, like, uh, when you sold it, how exactly did you feel? And what, what are the things like, uh, you know, like, what, how exactly did it go from the process to selling it and, uh, and getting like the, the buyers and then leaving the job to a nine to five? Yeah. I mean, this was not some big exit. Let me be clear about that. This was like, I don't want this company to die. And I think it can be something that I don't have the energy to make it into. So I want to hand it over to someone that can do it. So, I mean, I like posted it online and on Craigslist. I don't even remember where I found the woman to take it over. And she ended up dying or killing the company. So she, oh. <laughs> uh, she didn't do anything with it, but, but that's okay. That's okay. I mean, I was just, I didn't want to just, you know, like let go of the hard work that, that we had put into it. So, oh, well, I mean, it was an amazing learning experience for sure. And we didn't make a ton of money. I think it's really hard to make money when you're selling $5 bags of cookies one by one, you know, <laughs> like you have to have a really good strategy and you have yeah. to have the effort and the distribution and all of that stuff. And had I continued working on it, I think we could have kept growing on it, but it was just not where my interest was long-term. Okay. And, uh, and doing that switch to uh, a SaaS company, did you like uh, spotted a problem to start Axelity? Or how how did it uh, how did it work out? Yeah, I was running marketing at an eighty or so million dollar software as a service company, and I, all the strategies we were putting in place. I had a lot of friends that were in startups, and they had nowhere near the level of sophistication and the the tools that they needed and the knowledge that they needed. A lot of times, when you're starting a company, usually it's not marketers that are starting a company, and it's really hard to know what to do. Right. And then you don't have money to really pay a fancy agency or hire a bunch of people to run your marketing. And it really takes a lot of different skills to run a, a successful marketing program. So, yeah, I did see a need and just started dipping my toe into the water um, and kind of wanted to see where it took me, I guess. Nice. And uh, and so right now, are you like uh, trying to figure out like the same uh or trying to get customers in SaaS businesses, or is it, uh, or did you like broaden kind of your audience over time? We're still working with SaaS companies. So uh, yeah. at the beginning, I wanted to work with SaaS companies, and I took okay. a lot of clients outside of it too because I thought we needed the money, right? Like, okay, like, <laughs> fair well, enough. Right? You know what? <laughs> So there was like a taxidermy company that wanted help. And we were like, sure, we can do that. Like it's clearly was not our specialty. We probably should have shied away from that one. Um, but yeah, I mean, we are now focused on SaaS and B2B services. Awesome. And, uh, and let's, because I'm, I'm super curious with, uh, with the story you, you just mentioned when you start your agency, uh, as you say, you know, like uh, you're selling a service, so you want to make money. 
and you have clients, even though you, you seem to have like uh, nailed down from the start your positioning, saying you want to work with uh, software and SaaS companies, accepting clients outside of your scope, how did it feel? What were your learnings? Would you, you said that you wanted to shy away. Why? Can you like dig in a bit more about uh, all this story? Yeah. I mean, it's a terrible idea. It's a terrible <laughs> idea because it's like you specialize. And I believe that services companies should specialize because you know what you're doing in a certain area. Just because you know how to market and grow a B2B software company doesn't mean you know how to market and grow a taxidermy company <laughs> or a consumer product or or whatever it may be. And I think when we take work outside of our target market, it it makes us look bad. You often can't deliver on the things that you want to do. Um, your quality of work not may not be as high. And frankly, I've just, I found out that the money is really, it's never worth it. And I now focus on passing on those opportunities and trying to refer them to places where they could get good services in order to wait for and hunt for the, the business that we know we can serve well. No, that's that's really nice and hundred percent agree. I think it's uh, I think it's really tough in the in the early days because obviously you see the opportunity, you see the money, and as you said, like uh, you can always think maybe I, I can help them grow. But in the end, it's uh, it's good to know your focus and and where you're really good at, so you can bring the the most value to your customers. And um, at the at the first uh, like the the first day, was it just you when you started the agency? Were you like more as a contractor, and then you decided to grow? How exactly did you like make the switch from being just you to having like your first employee? Yeah, it was just me at the beginning, and I was consulting. I had a baby, and I was like, oh, maybe I can consult and get more free time, which is hilarious. And because <laughs> you don't start a business and get more free time usually, even though some people say you can. I'm not sure if I subscribe to that. Me neither. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, you you can grow as fast as you want, and you can put in as much effort as you want, right? So if I wanted to grow really slowly, which we did for a while, I could put in 20 hours a week or 30 hours a week. So you can do it. That's just not what I want to do, I guess. Um, I was outsourcing some of the work that I was doing because there were some things that I was good at. Like uh, I've always been a pretty good copywriter. Those things I could do, putting together marketing plans. But when it comes to design, not a clue. When it comes to the technical end of websites, don't have a clue. Um, so I was outsourcing some of that and subcontracting it. And I realized that I wanted people that were fully dedicated to the mission that I was on. I had, I mean, freelancers, when you're working with them, you're one of many priorities, right? Um, and and it makes sense, right? Because they're working with lots of different companies. But yeah, I just, I wanted to have some people in-house. I hired my first employee. We like sat down for coffee and I was like, oh, I like her. I should <laughs> hire her. And I hired her. I didn't have a clue what I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And um, so, so I'm curious to, to dig in a, a bit more in, into the, the first day. So I 100% agree. You know that uh, you know your strengths. You're uh, an amazing copywriter. And then you're like, okay, I need to outsource the things that I don't master. So how does the process work exactly? Is it you're doing sales and uh, you get hired, for example, for a job that requires to do design, copywriting, uh, maybe like redo the website or something like that. So you get hired for that job. And then once you got the money, you start hiring people. Or is it more like you find like top freelancer and then after that you start like uh, 
hunting and doing like uh, lead generation to get and sell uh, a wider services. How, how did that work exactly? I was doing it kind of at the same time. So while okay. I was out having conversations, I was trying to find the resources that I needed because I think when you when you bring on business and then you try to find the resources, it's kind of a recipe for failure yeah. um, because you make quick decisions, right? And they might not be the decisions you would make if you had a little bit more time to evaluate the situation you're in and what you want to deliver. So I... I'm very lucky to not be in that situation anymore because we have the resources on my team. And I mean, at an agent, a small agency, one of our size still, you know, struggles to find resources sometimes. However, it's a, it's a lot easier than it was before. Nice. And uh, how, what was your process to find like uh, freelancers? Were you going like to website like Up, Upwork or was it more like a Craigslist or anything? Uh, what, what worked for you and what didn't work? Mm -hmm. Upwork is something that I used at the beginning. Um, and I actually put myself on Upwork to get work at the beginning. Um, I think mostly I found my freelancers through referrals and through my network. So I was reaching out to people on LinkedIn and asking them if they were available and taking more clients. And I mean, as a freelancer, that's like the best message you can get. So um, that part, I would say, was pretty easy. Now, finding finding freelancers, not the most difficult part of the job. Finding the right people to join the team is a lot harder. Yeah, I <laughs> I can vouch for that. <laughs> and uh, and let's get back to, to that first hire. So you have a coffee with her, you think like she's the one, you hire her. Uh, what was she doing? She was actually an account manager. So um, that's, I tried to, I guess, take some of, back myself out of the things that I didn't love doing right away. So I kept some of the creative. Um, I kept doing sales for many years, actually. I just hired my head of sales two, two and a half years ago. Um, so <laughs> that I probably should have done that earlier, to be honest. But yeah, she was an account manager. Nice. And uh, and in the early days, what were your challenge with, let's say, like the, the first five employees that you hired? What were kind of the challenges and the, the failures that, that you faced? Yeah. First five employees. Well, two of them are still with me and they are a part of my leadership team. So nice. that was good. That was good. <laughs> Honestly, I think it was lucky. Um, I Again, I didn't know exactly what I was doing when I was hiring. And I, the funny part is I have been a recruiter years ago. So I knew how to look for talent. I knew how to interview. I knew how to like source resumes and do all of those things, which actually is a really cool skill that helped me do some of this. Um, but I still, I mean, it's really hard to know that you're making the right hire. And I was hiring a lot of like really junior and entry level people because that's what I could afford. And some of them rose to the challenge and some of them were like, whoa, this is way too much pressure, which totally makes sense. So, <laughs> I mean, I would say 50% probably really good hires and some, I, you know, I chalk it up to, I didn't have good job descriptions. I didn't have their roles really well-defined. I wasn't perfectly sure of what they were doing. And I don't even know that I knew exactly what I was looking for at that time. So what, uh, what advice would you give to someone who just, uh, starting to hire, let's say like their first employees, would you, uh, help them like, or have them like, uh, kind of build a proper map out of the existing job? Like, uh, have you set up, for example, like, I don't know, a three months, 
um, level up or onboarding where you can actually measure the impact of everyone joining? What's what's a recipe for a good hire? Yeah, I mean, you have to know what they're going to be doing. And I think everything is about expectation setting. So if you can give a really solid outline of what the job is and say, this is a small company and the expectation is that you are going to be doing some things outside of this role. And the expectation is that you're not going to be able to clock out at 35, 40 hours every week. Some weeks will be heavier, some weeks will be lighter. I think it's all about being transparent upfront and being willing to admit the challenges that they will encounter. Because some people like me, I feed off of that kind of challenge. And some people don't want that kind of challenge. And I think that's okay both ways, but you just have to be honest about it. Yeah, 100% agree. And uh, how exactly do you spot? Because during interviews, you know, like uh, people need jobs, like uh, some need jobs uh, just, I mean, to, to feed themselves, help their family. And it's it's always difficult because during interview, you know that you have to kind of, of selling yourself. And some people will lie or not lie, but at least like oversell what they can achieve. So how exactly do you spot the best talents do, during interviews? Like, do you have some uh, magic tricks Hmm. I do not have magic tricks. No, I make sure that I have lots of eyes on the person that we're hiring. So they're interviewed by future fellow team members, by their manager, by other managers, by me. I mean, they probably meet like five or six people within nice. the company during the interview process, which is really helpful. If it's a really crucial hire, I have my business coach interview them. She... She is, she's a little scary, which I think is a litmus <laughs> test, to be honest. Um, but she has a really good perspective and point of view on those key hires. I mean, there's no magic solution. I still, I still make mistakes. And it's not, I mean, it's not really making mistakes and like hiring the wrong people, but it's, is this the right person in the right role? Have they been given clear expectations? You know, there's a lot that goes into it. Nice. You mentioned that uh, you have a coach, which is something I want to talk about a little bit later. But first, I'm I'm really curious, like, uh, what was uh, during this journey, you know, of uh, building your seven figure business and hiring people? What was for you like uh, the the kind of like toughest time? Like, uh, was it more employee wise and team wise, or was it more with clients? Do you have like any anecdotes uh, you could share? Because I feel like you know we're we're all on a journey. Uh, building companies and there is a huge loneliness you know as a founder and I feel like sometimes sharing the toughest time is really cool for the community to see that okay it's good to celebrate the wins but we all have like fails and uh, and I think it's important yeah oh I mean god I've had a lot of tough times to be honest I mean the first four or five years of the company, we didn't grow very quickly. And again, I take that back to, I don't think I really knew what I was doing. I was like in my mid twenties when I started the company and I was kind of guessing at a lot of it. I didn't get a coach soon enough. I didn't get mentors soon enough. Um, I just had this figure it out mentality and I'm glad that I toughed it out, but I would never want to go back to those five years. <laughs> Um, I mean, especially building a company that's bootstrapped, you don't always have money to do the things that you want to do. And when you want to do things like offer more services or offer more complex services or higher quality, then you have to find the more talented or more experienced people, but it's chicken or the egg. You know, you have to have those people to sell the services, but if you don't sell the services, you don't have the money to hire the people. So there have been a lot of times where I've 
drained my savings account to make payroll or where I put a bunch of money on a credit card and then transferred the balance so that I could have 0% APR for a year to pay it off while I was trying to figure it out. I mean... Wow. Wait, let's, let's, let's get back to that a minute. Like how exactly when, when you do these things, like what happens in your mind? Like, do you say, okay, I'm putting everything on the line and this is like, uh, like, how do you feel? Like how much pressure is that? It must be crazy, no? It's by far the most stress I have encountered in this time growing a company. Um, there is so much stress that I know I can handle and be it like the pressure of gaining or losing clients. I mean, I, I know how to roll with all of that now. The money stress is still by far the most stressful part. So... I mean, I always think, what is the worst thing that could happen? And I think a lot of people think that's a negative way to look at it, where I'm just trying to look at all of the options. Okay, if I have $40,000 in savings and I'm going to put it all into the company, what's the worst thing that's going to happen? Well, if we go under, then that will suck clearly, but I know that I am employable. I can go get a job. I'll be able to continue supporting my family. I mean, worst case scenario, I could maybe ask my mom for money, although I'm way too proud to do something like that. Um, I've thought about it so many times and I've never pulled the trigger because again, pride. Um, <laughs> you know, So it's like, if I think through that and I decide that I can handle whatever the worst case scenario is, then I'm like, all right, Let's take the risk. And it's always panned out, but it's not really fun when you're in in the midst of it. <laughs> yeah, I I can definitely relate to that. And to be honest, uh, I really admire like your resilience. And I'm curious, like uh, you mentioned that for you, you know, asking what would the, the worst that can happen is a good question to ask yourself. But how exactly, like uh, where exactly did you find kind of the support through the tough times? Because you are uh, the solo founder of your company, which means you own like 100% of the company. And, uh, and how exactly did you find support? Was it with employees? Was it with family, with friends? Mm -hmm. um, I try to be transparent with my team, but I try not to seek support from them okay. because they have... They have their own stress and their own lives and you know that they're dealing with and their own work-related challenges. And I don't want to put like my employees, they're not owners and therefore it's not their responsibility to worry about their paychecks or the money or anything like that. That's my responsibility. And I take it very seriously. So no, I try I really try not to lean on them. I've leaned on my parents just to like you know, vent a little bit and, you know, have them support me. My husband's very supportive. I mean, but a lot of it, I think, is just soul searching in my own mind and trying to figure out what I can handle and asking myself questions and evaluating if I'm still in this and how much I'm willing to do for, you know, the next million dollars or whatever it may be. Um, so, I mean, I look to myself a lot and maybe that's a... Maybe nice inner inner strengths inner strengths yeah, I think you have you have to have the inner strength and you have to look to yourself before you can look to anyone else I believe and uh and I'm also curious like to bump on the another thing you mentioned you were mentioning that you like the money can be like really stressful and you also mentioned the fact that you know when you're an agency um once you're done with your mission with the clients uh, you either need like to find new ones 
or uh, if your existing clients uh, decide to stop for X or Y reason, you still have to find new new clients. So what is kind of like the worst thing that happened to you with existing clients? Mm. Ooh. <laughs> Juicy stories. Stories to tell. <laughs> oh God. Well, let's see. A few years ago, we had a client that was a sales services company. So like a complimentary company that... I was at one of our clients' offices and they were like, oh, I got this weird call that this other client of yours is selling marketing services and they want us to work with them. So one of our clients basically tried to start selling the exact same services that we were providing, um, which is a jerk move. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Gosh, we've had another client that hired one of our employees that we ended up parting ways with because it's in their contract not to do so. Um, it was, I mean, I think they thought it wasn't going to be that big of a deal and I definitely don't hold a grudge, but I felt that we had to walk away from it because I didn't want to set the precedent that that was okay. And that sucked because that was uh, a few hundred thousand dollars a year that we were walking away from. Which, Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I mean, those are the toughest decisions to make, but it's like, uh, choosing integrity or your honor over money, it has to win every time. And we've lost plenty of money that way, but. But at least, you know, you, you can look at yourself in the mirror and know that, you know, you're straight and you're doing like the things, uh, according to, to your rules and, and your vision, which I think is, uh, is important. <laughs> Yeah, I was just talking to one of my team members today and she was like, well, according to the fabric of this company, integrity always wins because we have another situation we're <laughs> right now that is like, oh, fuck. Oh, you know, like, is this a situation we want to be involved in? And it's a little sticky and my team's questioning how much involvement they want in it. And I'm like, all right, well, you know, it's something that you have to navigate every day and you have to make these decisions based on so many factors, including integrity of your company. So I'm I'm wondering because you're mentioning integrity a lot. Is it like uh, something that you have, you know, like uh, put down on paper, like the values of your company, just you know to make it like, uh, for for example, like uh, what we did is that uh, we took a lot of time, you know, to define our values because at first I was like, okay, this is a bit bullshit, you know, like big corporation do that, and actually they they never really follow their values. But down the line, once we really spent a lot of time on it, trying to define who we are and what we stand for, it's been super helpful in the strategy because every time there is a conflict, you look at your values and you're like, okay, where does that stand exactly? And, and then you find the solution. So is it something that you, you spend time on? And if yes, like uh, what are kind of the, the, the values that, uh, that you've seen uh, working best for you? Yeah, we just redid them last year, actually. And we do our reviews based on them. We rate the entire team and ourselves based on them. So yeah, I mean, they're very important in being um, integrous, I guess is the word, um, and honest are are definitely two of the values. Some of the other ones are bold, um, internally driven. I think there's there's a lot that I don't think we took it as seriously before we okay. had them always. And it was like, Oh, they were like really fun and quirky and playful and a very marketing agency thing to do. But it wasn't like something that we lived by and that we hired and fired by. And now that has changed. We're actually in the process of implementing EOS uh, and that's redoing them was part of the EOS process. Uh, what does uh, EOS stand for? 
It's the entrepreneurial operating system. Ah, okay. It's okay. based on the book Traction, but it's just like okay. a structure that you put into place in your company that gives, I mean, it gives structure to the entire thing and it it's how reviews are done, how we hire, fire, our core values, our mission, our vision. It's nice to have that structure in place because then I'm not making it up anymore. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's nice. And was it something you, you worked uh, on with, uh, with your mentor or with uh, your coach? And uh, how many mentors do you have and how many coach? I'm curious. I have one coach. I've been okay. with her for over six years. Now. Wow. Yeah. I just love her. She's like one of my favorite people. It's, she's the perfect coach for me because she doesn't take my crap. Um, she doesn't, I mean, she's a little scary and I kind of need that. Otherwise I probably won't do what she says. <laughs> um, she holds me accountable and she makes me look at the things that aren't naturally fun for me, like the money, looking at forecasts and cash flow and our income statements and our PL. And I'm like, oh, you know, that's just, I'm a creative. And that's not the most exciting part of running a business to me, but it has to be because that's how you pay the bills and pay yourself and your people. So she forces me to, to look at all of that, which is really good. And, and how exactly did you meet with her and how did you decide like, okay, she's the one I'm going to go uh, and start a relationship with a, with a coach. Yeah. I thought for sure, for sure. I did not need a coach. I was like, I got this. I don't need a coach at all. I was very cocky. I mean, I don't know. Uh, but my <laughs> I was the same. <laughs> uh, yeah, really. I, I think I think a lot of us get smacked down after a while when we're like, oh, maybe we actually do need help. You know, um, it's that like blind optimism up front. Um, but actually, my dad's um, wife, my stepmom, it's one of her good friends. And they kept telling me, my dad and Kate, my stepmom kept telling me, oh, you need to meet this woman. And I was like, I don't need a coach. And they're like, just take a meeting with her. And I was like, I don't need a coach, but I suppose I'll meet with her. And I met her <laughs> and I was like, okay, I suppose I can see the benefit of this. So I started in like group coaching, you know? So I started very slowly. I went through the entire group coaching program twice and just kind of dipped my toe into the water to try to figure out exactly the benefit and what I wanted to do. And I've been coaching with her ever since. Nice. And uh, can you share uh, the price of a coach? Uh, is it something that's uh, that's public, like or? Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. a couple thousand dollars a month, so okay. it's not. I mean, yeah. it's not crazy. I meet with her an hour twice a month, so. Okay. I mean, nice. it's a decent investment. I think it's she makes a lot of money doing it, and she does EOS implementations as well, which is what we were just talking about. But what matters the most is uh, is the value it brings to the business. Right. Exactly. Sometimes I'm like, am I paying her a thousand dollars an hour? And then I'm like, okay, I know there's more work that goes into it. It's not like she just shows up at, at my meetings because that wouldn't be a great coaching strategy. Yeah. And also it's all about, like you said, the value. Yeah. And, and I feel to be honest, like uh, if you don't pay a coach uh, a reasonable amount of money, you're going to feel like it has no value. You know, it's like, well, I mean, if it's, if it's too cheap and you're paying like 50 bucks an hour, a hundred bucks, you're like, well, okay, she's just going to give me advice, but you know what, whatever. Whereas with, if it's a, a significant investment, at least, you know, you're like, I need to be focused this, during this hour, make the most out of it and really like level up my game. 
Yeah. I mean, she assigns me homework every time I talk to her and you better bet I'm doing my <laughs> homework because I'm not going to show up every time and be like, Oh, take my money, but I'm not going to do anything you say. Right. I believe that with anything that is free or really inexpensive, it's like, it's a lot easier for me to blow off than it is when I'm paying, like I said, a few thousand dollars a month for it. Definitely. And uh, did you always have the idea of staying bootstrap during your entire journey? Uh, I don't know that I was like, it's become a big part of my story now, but it was never, I, I didn't decide like, mm, I'm not taking any money, but I was, I, but I was very stubborn and still am and was kind of like, I bet I could do this without taking any money. <laughs> <laughs> so it wasn't a conscious decision, but I'm glad I did it for sure. So right now, like you have zero regrets of uh, not having raised money or have like uh, partners or after eight years. No, still, still happy with uh, owning 100%. I mean, hmm, good question. I try not to have any regrets. There's not really, I've screwed up plenty in my life. I don't know that there's anything I would look back on and be like, Oh, I regret that. I could, I have done things better for sure. I think had I taken money, had I taken money right at the start, I probably would have blown it all because I didn't know what I was doing. Um, had I had a partner or two, probably could have grown faster. Had I taken money, probably could have grown faster. However, now I'm sitting in a spot where I own a seven-figure company that I 100% own. So that's pretty cool. I think a lot of people look at where we are eight years in and they're like, oh, it took her eight years to get there. And I'm like, everyone's path is different. Right. And I'm very proud of where we are, even though it's taken a little longer than what people, you know, say or what massive quick growth looks like. I think it's also like uh, tells a lot about, uh, you know, your character. I feel like, uh, yeah, of course, it's uh, it's sexy and exciting, like to have this uh, hyper growth going super fast. But to be honest, when I have like uh, someone like you in front of me and I'm like, okay, she's been working eight years on the same project, going through all these ups and downs, etc. I think it's uh, it's really admirable. Like it's uh, it takes dedication, and it's uh, it's not something that anyone can do. Especially right now, where I feel like people love you know to go from a project to another. We see a lot of people switching jobs all the time because the market is like people are hiring a lot. There is a, a lot of uh, movements in in any companies, but yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's really impressive. And uh, as you said, you know, like anyone can have their own uh, journey and and go at the, the speed and the pace that they want but in the end what matters is uh, is uh, are you happy in whatever you're doing and uh, and do you want to continue or not and and I think this is a uh, this is really cool yeah I we are working with a client right now short story on that that they've there may be a 10 or 15 million dollar company and they've been around for 12 years and they have they have an investor that's like we shouldn't talk about that because that's not you know that hasn't grown very quickly and it's like well getting to 10 15 million dollars it's huge <laughs> For sure. I mean, it's something to be proud of and it's all in the eye of the beholder, right? So some people probably can't even fathom that amount of money. And some people think that's a tiny company. It's, it's all in your perspective and how you want to use it, I guess. Yeah. And I guess it depends who you want to attract, you know, like uh, if you're targeting like uh, small businesses or like a startup, et cetera, reaching 10 million in, uh, in annual recurring revenue or annual revenue it's huge. It's like, uh, you don't have uh, 0.001% of companies that can reach that. So it's, uh, I, I do agree that sometimes, you know, especially in the startup world, people tend to 
kind of lose the the sight of things and how usually business operates. So so I hundred percent agree uh, on that part. And do you feel like um, as a bootstrap business that uh, what what according to you, especially because you like marketing, what according to you is uh, is a great differentiator when uh, you're a bootstrap business? Like what are the things that you've done? that really worked well and it worked because you were bootstrapped? Hmm. Ooh, <laughs> good question. It's, I mean, being female owned, I don't think is because we're bootstrapped, it's cool, but I think it's helped differentiate us in the market. There, SaaS especially is a male dominated place. And when I was getting started, I was often one of the only women at the table having these conversations, which was pretty cool. Um, another thing that really helped us grow was LinkedIn and talking about the bootstrap journey on LinkedIn and relating to people there. So I guess that's another aspect of it as well. Nice. So you've been talking a lot here yeah, about like the, the bootstrap, the, the ups and downs. And, um, and what were you like, like what, what was for you, sorry, like the, the one or two strategies that you focused on and that really brought you clients and revenue and, and growth? Was it mainly through content or did you try other things that, that worked well as well? Hmm. We, I mean, content marketing is... Uh, you know, within our blood as marketers. So it's something that we did for a long time, but it didn't always lead to the growth numbers that we wanted. You know, it you kind of get in what you put out. And so you have to be really consistent. You have to put out a lot of content. It has to be compelling. It has to gain traction. There's a lot that has to go into it for you to find success there. I think it's more content paired with other things like my personal brand that we just talked about. Um, in addition to always being out selling, that is one of the biggest, biggest lessons that I learned is you have to, you have to sell before you even have anything to sell, to be honest. Um, because if you don't get out there and have those conversations, you could be building something that absolutely no one wants or that you're not going to be able to get off the ground. So God, my head of sales is like constantly acting like we are the most poor company on the planet. That's how he sells. <laughs> he just hunts the crap out of people. Um, he's always reaching for these huge numbers and trying to bring on more clients. And it's so cool to watch because he doesn't just like hit his quota and sit there comfortable. Um, he's really hungry and I love that about him. Nice. And, uh, and you were talking about sales and selling. So I'm curious, uh, when it comes to agency, you know, like pricing is always a big question. So after eight years, how did your pricing strategy evolves? Is it, do you have like clear package where the price is really well defined or is it really something customized where based on the type of clients, you're going to be able to adapt your pricing strategy? And did you see that for the same service two to three years ago, you were pricing, let's say 10 times less or how, how did things evolve uh, along the years? When we started, I majorly underpriced us because I did not have the confidence to go out and say I wanted a few hundred dollars an hour to you know, like work with clients. So I think my first clients came on at like $50 an hour. It's really hard to build an agency charge. You have to whisper when you say that, you know, it's like, it was just 50. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. I hope none of our clients are listening to that. That's definitely not a thing now. And we have a couple clients that have been with us since then that we're just price increasing every year. And it's like, you know, here are the new services that we're bringing to you, the new talent that's on your account. And here's why we have to increase your prices. And most of them don't 
dad and I. Um, we went from that to productizing our services for a few years, which was an interesting adventure. I think when you get into productizing, it's a lot more about deliverables and it is about results. So our clients were paying a flat fee for X amount of deliverables. And we just found that our clients had smaller budgets and they were unhappy more because they were just like, like I said, getting these set deliverables. It wasn't a customized strategy based on exactly what they needed every month. So now we've gone back out of productizing um, and our clients are priced based on their size. We have some startup rates for smaller companies that can't afford, you know, regular agency rates that we work with them and find them some success and ladder them up into different packages. So I would say it's pretty flexible at this point. Nice, nice, nice. I think it's uh, I think it's the best way to you know like serve uh, a different variety of of customers to be flexible because productize as you said I think it's uh, very difficult over time especially for a service and uh, I've actually a lot of agency friends who told me that it's there is always this disappointment in productized uh, service where. In the end, people always want to come back to something more customized and uh, and get better results over time. And um, in in eight years, I assume that uh, that you've done you know like some mistakes. Uh, what what was for you <laughs> the the one or two that you wish uh, that you you didn't make? Yeah, is this related to pricing or related to anything? It's related to anything. You have like uh, <laughs> free uh, free carte blanche. <laughs> Another good question. I mean, there's no mistakes that I wish I didn't make because I think we have really, really learned a ton from everything. And sometimes I have to be like hit over the head with my mistakes before I learn anything because I can be a little hard-headed. So let me start by saying that. Um, I have made some hiring mistakes for sure. And I think that we have spent too long hiring people that we like. Like, ooh, I really like this person. I think they'd be great on the team versus hiring specifically for the skill fit. And that is a, a mistake that a lot of companies make because it's very easy to want to hire people that are like you or that you think you could be friends with. And I think you can be friendly with them, but I don't think you can hire based on that. So that is one. And then I wish we would have started looking at profitability earlier because when it came to money, because I was so uncomfortable with it for a few years, I did a lot of guessing. My assistant now runs like a lot of that and she runs payroll and looks at our profitability and she's putting together these spreadsheets for me. And when I tell her how I was doing this stuff before, she's like, this gives me a heart attack. She cried. <laughs> I know. I know. And I'm like, well, we survived. Yay. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think having better systems around that hindsight is 2020 and uh, there's nothing I would change, but getting those systems in place earlier would certainly have helped. Nice, solid, uh, very solid advice. Uh, and uh, in uh, what what are your kind of like the, the big plans for uh, for 2022? Hmm. We are making them now. Um, we have our revenue targets in place. We're hiring a few people right now. Our sales pipeline is pretty full. I think it's it's exciting. I'm looking for a big growth year next year. At the beginning nice. of this year, we definitely took some hits. 
and therefore did not reach our revenue goal. Although we got pretty dang close considering the hits that we took at the beginning. It's three months left, huh? <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. My head of sales is like, how do we get there? And I was like, I don't know if it's totally feasible, but I love your attitude. Um, so yeah, I think next year is going to be fantastic. And I hope the effects of this pandemic go away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it, I, that's another thing too, is for the past 18 months, employees have been stressed and they're, they're just like the mental load that everyone is carrying is so much heavier than usual. And I think people are just finding it harder to show up at work every day and to be happier, be excited because it's, there's so much else we have to deal with. And I really want that to go away just for, I hate seeing my team suffering or, you know, when I know that their mental health or physical health isn't as good as it could be because of everything that's going on. So I would really like for that to go away in 2022 as well. <laughs> yeah. I, I second you on this. And uh, what, what are the things that, uh, cause you've had a company for eight years. You told me that uh, some of the very early employees are actually still there. Uh, you seem to be also like very cautious about like health of employees, uh, their benefits, etc. What's what's the secret sauce to to keep people around for uh, for so long? I think it's just caring about them, like actually caring, not saying some crap about how you care <laughs> and some company line. I think it's literally actually caring. I mean, my leadership team. Most of them have worked with me their entire professional careers, which I think is really freaking cool. And I don't, you don't, you don't get relationships like that by just being surface level. And when they go through stuff, it's like, all right, well, I'm gonna be flexible with them. And as long as they're showing up and doing their best work that they can every single day, I'm happy with that. So I think that we we at least try to show that we really care about every single employee. We're putting out surveys about their workloads and their mental health. We have half days on Fridays so that people can take time off and spend more time with their families. Or even like we have a few single parents on the team that are like, oh, I get to send my kid to daycare and actually have a few hours where I get to go to a store by myself. It's little things like that that I think we can acknowledge and help people with. And it makes a big difference. And most small companies think that they don't have the ability to do stuff like that. That's, that's really, really cool. And um, what will make you say, you know, like I succeed in my business? Like, is there anything that a goal that you've been chasing for a lot of time or, or do you already feel like you, you succeeded? I, the terrible response is, nothing. I mean, I, I feel like I have succeeded and I also feel that I have only done 5% of what I want to do. I, I, it's terrible because every time we reach that next goal, I'm like, cool, what's next. And I have to be forced to actually sit down and look at like, Oh my God, do you ever think about what you've accomplished and look at these people and look at your revenue? And I'm like, mm, not really, but I am looking ahead. So, uh, I need to get better at that. I think it's something that people like me, I'm very type A and a, and a high achiever and I'm very like forward focused. I think that's uh, that's the best way to have a, a strong drive over time, you know, like always looking forward. So, so it's pretty cool. And um, do, do you read a lot of, uh, of business books and things like that? Or are you more of uh, someone who follow people and, uh, and, uh, and watch videos online? 
I'm not a big, the funny, I mean, I made my personal brand off of making videos and I'm not a big video watcher. I will read their copy. I will read their subtitles, but no, I don't watch <laughs> a lot of people's videos, but I am a pretty big reader. I, I ebb and flow, but I try to read a book a month usually. Oh, nice. And uh, what was uh, the one business book that kind of like changed your uh, vision on entrepreneurship? Ooh, I... How can I name just one? So you can name a couple if you want. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> High performance habits is one that is, I read it maybe two years ago and it just changed my perspective of how I treat myself, how I look at performance as a whole person versus before I was just trying to look at performance at work. Right. And the book forces you to look at your mental health, your physical health, how you show up every day, your attitude, your mindset, and your actual physical productivity. And I use the companion journal every day um, and just go through and answer all of the prompts and plot out my day and try to get more intentional about how I show up and the way that I want to act and think and feel that day. Another one nice. is Make Time. That one is by John Zeratsky and Jake Knapp. Um, that is another productivity-based book. I'm really into like kind of hacking yourself, you know, and trying to figure out how you can show up and perform the best every single day. So those are two of them. This is uh, this is really cool. Uh, so I I want to be cautious of your time. So I, I would have like three questions where you have to choose uh, and pick the one that works uh, best for you. Sure. So work remote or in an office? Remote. Okay. Cheese curds or mozzarella sticks? Ooh, cheese curds, Wisconsin. <laughs> that was, that, I, I wanted to, to see whether or not you're, you're real from uh, Wisconsin. Oh, I am. <laughs> Phone call or text? Text. Text. Okay. I yeah. hardly even answer my phone. I'm, I'm, I'm wondering who's still doing phone calls, but I had to ask. <laughs> my mother. Okay. My mother still yeah. calls me. Same for me. <laughs> she gets on me and she's like, why don't you ever answer the phone when I call? And I'm like, I answer for you 10 times more than everyone else. So you should be thankful. <laughs> uh, awesome. And um, where people can um, either follow your journey or get in touch with you, what's uh, the best media? Yeah. Well, I launched a podcast about a month, six weeks ago at this point. So that's a really good way to follow my journey. It's three episodes a week of just like all of my thoughts, the things I'm working on, the things I'm reading. It's called The Art of Entrepreneurship. And then if you want to get in touch with me, LinkedIn is the spot for sure. I'm in the DMs responding to people every single day there. That's awesome. Thanks a lot, Jackie, for your time. It was really a, an amazing interview. Lots of learnings. And uh, thank you very much for, for joining. Yes, thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Bootstrap Stories, the only podcast where bootstrap entrepreneurs share their journey in all transparency. If you enjoyed this episode, don't hesitate to leave us a review. And in case you want to see the interview, all episodes are live on the Guillaume Moubesh YouTube channel. Check out the link in the description and hit subscribe if you haven't already. Have an amazing day and make sure to also join us in our amazing Bootstrap community where we all help each other to become successful and grow a profitable business. Take care and talk to you soon.